Hi, I'm Jason Nias, along with Natalie Wires from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started and lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Natalie. And I'm Kim from Digital River. As e-commerce continues its rise, many brands are fine-tuning the stores they have or starting new stores as they enter new markets. Which means a deep dive into your e-commerce platform. Is it the right one to take you to the next level? Maybe you're looking for a new platform or just a modular solution to change part of your e-commerce stack. We're in Los Gatos, California at Diconium, a systems integration company that helps brands all over the world create the right e-commerce platform. Joining us is U.S. Managing Partner for Diconium, Roland Oberdorfer. Hi, Roland. Hello. For those not familiar, why don't you start by just telling us a bit about Diconium? What do you do and what type of companies do you work with? Okay, yeah. So Deconium is um, a company that has been founded already in 1994 um, in Germany, Stuttgart. Uh, That's where the headquarters are um, and has since expanded into many uh, different countries. Um, We focus on digital experience um, from everything, um, building out digital experience to marketing, the whole full stack of digital. Now, you started way back when in, you were in Germany. You were working for Hewlett-Packard. And I read, and it may or may not be correct, that you were helping Hewlett-Packard start its first, HP start its first online stores. That is correct. That yeah. is correct. So, so tell us a little bit about that. That must have been fun. Yeah, it actually was. So um, I studied computer science in Konstanz, uh, Germany. It's all the way south in Germany. And after I finished my... Studying, I joined uh, Hewlett Packard and I joined in the team that was responsible for creating e-commerce and they didn't have any store back then. And so we launched the first seven stores back then. They were based on a company called Broadvision. Um, So we launched seven stores in Europe um, on Broadvision for Hewlett Packard where people could directly buy products from HP. And uh, while we were doing that, um, we created a solution, which I called back then the spoofer, um, (laughs) (laughs) that allowed uh, websites to integrate other websites seamlessly into the website. So, for example, that would give you the ability to do like um, financing for products you purchase through like an external website, but it's integrated into yours. Um, when I implemented this software, the American uh, HP folks were very interested in that, and they asked me to come over and help them integrate that into the U.S. Um, online stores, which were also based on Broadvision. That's how I came over the first time on an extended business trip to help them, and while I was working with them, they offered me a full-time um, developer role at uh, you know, at HP in the US. And then I decided to move over here. Um, so then I started working at HP um, fairly quickly, became the development manager. And then a few years after, I became the CTO of HP Shopping, which was the HP 
um, consumer store online. So you've been creating direct-to-consumer commerce experiences for your whole career. That's correct, yeah. So after HP Shopping became so big um, that HP decided to bring HP Shopping back in-house. It was initially a subsidiary for branding and um, competitive purposes because our biggest competitor back then was Dell. And Dell was a small company, a smaller company with only um, one um, office down in Texas. And HP was all over the US, so we mm -hmm. had to pay taxes everywhere. So we decided you know, to create a subsidiary. But then once it grew so big that this uh, whole tax benefit didn't work anymore, they decided to bring it in-house and they split up HP Shopping. At which point in time, I left HP and I went to NVIDIA um, and started the online store for NVIDIA, which was based on Digital River back then. Really? Interesting. Nice. Yes. Interesting. And somewhere along the lines, you created Cytolytics? Cytolytics, I started after I left um, NVIDIA. Okay. Um, the reason why I started that was um, in my role, I was general manager and... Um, for, for web and e-commerce at um, NVIDIA and a lot of times I got asked questions of where do we rank for the term graphics cards on Google or Yahoo? And so people, you know, would just look up and say, oh, I'm, I'm ranking on third position or whatever. So I created a little tool um, in my spare time to just check where people rank for certain keywords on all the different search engines. And um, after I finished that tool, I decided I could actually make a business with that. And I started Cytolytics, which essentially was an SEO company first. So it was just tracking all the different SEO metrics. And we got clients um, on, on that tool. And then the clients came and said, OK, how can we get better? We know now we rank bad. How can we rank better? And the tool taught me a lot about SEO. So I could give fairly good advices to people of how they can rank higher, because we track everything from on-page SEO to off-page SEO and so we got more and more clients um, on SEO and then with that there were questions about analytics and we got into the analytics space and we got into the tech management space and then we got into the e-commerce infrastructure space so it just expanded from there. And then that is what eventually led you to Diconium is that right? Yeah, then um, a few years back in 2017, some, a friend of mine introduced me to Diconium and we started talking just like informationally about the US market versus the European market. And then um, Daniel, who is one of the co-founders of uh, Diconium, asked me if I would be interested in becoming part of a larger company. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when we started talking. And then so in like a few months later, um, they acquired uh, Cytolytics. And since then, we're part of Deconium. Now, just this week, Deconium was fully acquired by Volkswagen. So now we are a... Just this week? This week, yeah. It's oh, wow. It's just in the news right now. Well, we, should, we're, <laughs> we missed we're, that in our research. <laughs> we did so our research we're too record, early. <laughs> we're recording in mid-January, so just so you guys know that with your listening. That's cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Natalie and I wanted to ask you, was this topic of... And companies, large and small, have to consider this at some point, and that's, that's their platform. 
Um, and some might be considering changing, replatforming. So we wanted to get into that a little bit with you, and I'm going to have Natalie take it away from there. Yeah, so let's just start with, you know, the good, the bad, and the downright ugly, right? So, you know, when a company is considering a replatform, what should they be thinking about? What are the kind of the initial considerations that a company should think about as they look at their e-commerce and are trying to figure out what is the right tools for their business? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good question. So um, it kind of depends on the company and it depends on their revenue targets and their budget. Um, when you look at e-commerce, from my perspective, the e-commerce infrastructure um, should be a percentage of your overall revenue. So if you're a larger company, you should look at um, solutions that are the right solutions for a large company, like a Hybris or a Magento um, or, you know, IBM. Um, If you're a smaller company, then you want to look at like smaller solutions like a Shopify or the Magento community version, which Mm -hmm. is pretty much free. Um, So and then you have to do your math and see, you know, what can you afford um, based on your forecast, right? Companies, companies that are large and um, starting off like an online channel um, have to also think about how much they actually want to go online, right? Because they usually have some channel and when they start their online journey and selling online, then they usually get into some kind of a conflict, uh, channel conflict, because suddenly they're selling direct. And usually the channels don't like that. So they have to kind of think through that whole you know, strategy of how they want to launch and what kind of tools they want to use. Mm-hmm. And then what we usually do is we'll take, um, once they decided on kind of where they want to go, we have like a, a big spreadsheet <laughs> that has all the different requirements for like an online experience. And we sit with them and we go through a workshop and see what they really want. Um, you know, in terms of customer experience, in terms of um, connecting into their uh, fulfillment systems and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then we go through that, we look at different platforms and we get scoring done and then we get the whole uh, presentation done on, you know, what are the pros and cons for each Mm -hmm. of the platforms and then they decide on which platform they want to go with. Well, I know there. you mentioned different size companies, so you're going to have some small ones that are do-it-yourselfer kind of people, um, large companies that that have uh, the bandwidth and the people who can help them do that. So when do you determine, I need a systems integrator? For me, I would raise my hand immediately because I can't wrap my head around all this stuff. So when is a good time to bring that person in? Why do you do it? What's the advantage there? Yeah, so it's good to bring a system integrator um, in right at the beginning, um, if you're a larger company, uh, to go through that exercise that I just mentioned, that you actually look at all the different options that you have, and then you look at also your global expansion, right? So Digital River, for example, right, is a company that helps you to go global, and it's it's a great solution for companies that don't want to be merchant of record in all the mm-hmm. in all the different um, countries, mm-hmm. um, so but when you start that out, usually the companies don't know too much about e-commerce. So if you bring in a good system integrator, they know all the different options and they can present them to you. It's just more or less like a consulting at the beginning. You can still then go your own way, but it's nice to have 
somebody who has experience at the beginning just to help you help you steer you in the help right direction. Help you the guide. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a, obviously a ton of different options out there, as you've alluded to. Um, what trends are you seeing in terms of, you know, companies taking, you know, are, are they still looking for kind of a full stack offering that, you know, one provider can do it all? Are they approaching, taking a more modular best of breed approach? Does it really mm -hmm. depend on the business? How do you guide people to the right size solution for them? Yeah, so best of breed is is a nice way to um, design an e-commerce environment versus going just with like one uh, provider. Um, but it's constantly changing right now because companies are buying companies left and right. Like Magento was bought by Adobe mm -hmm. a few, I think it's a year back or so. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be the first Adobe, uh, first Magento um, event combined with the Adobe one coming up um, this year. Um, and then Hybris, you know, was bought by SAP a few years back. Um, and with that, the, the company is trying to do the full stack. And usually it becomes now more that you are in one stack. Mm -hmm. Usually you don't have like, um, you're like an Adobe shop, but then you're using Hybris. It kind of becomes rarer. Yeah. Um, but it's still a good thing to compare the different options yeah. so that you understand you know the capabilities because you don't want to be locked into something that's kind of um, closed and you can't get out of there anymore. Roland what are some of the common mistakes or even misperceptions that companies might have as they start this process of replatforming and deciding what to do what are the mistakes that you want to steer them away from? And the biggest mistake I think is uh, customization. Um, when people decide on a platform um, and they are looking for features and that feature doesn't exist and they just say, okay, let's go build it, um, then they start customizing their platform in a way that prevents them from upgrading, right? Because so every time you customize something and you upgrade to a new version, you have to look at all your customized code and make sure it still works in the new version. And then sometimes it just doesn't and they, they customize more and more out of it and the platform just becomes older and older and there's new security patches and things and it doesn't work anymore. So they get so far behind that they can't upgrade anymore and they put themselves into a situation where they're stuck. And then it's a big project to get out of that and you know go to like a new, new version. So I imagine a good chunk of your job then is helping the company and the folks who are working on this project become a bit of a fortune teller and figure out not just what their business needs today, but also what they anticipate that their needs are going to be three years, five years down the line so that they're picking a solution that is going to be able to grow with their business. Precisely. That's why we do this workshop at the beginning, because you have all the features um, that are available, plus you are brainstorming of, of features that they foresee to come. And once you know their requirements pretty much, then you can map those requirements to all the features. And then we also work very closely with the vendors, right? So we are Magento partner, we are Hypers partner, and we know their roadmaps too. So we know, for example, okay, this feature is gonna come on this platform you know, next quarter. So there's no need to you know, build it, right? And it's also important then to communicate to those vendors what the features are that our clients want. 
so they can build it into their roadmap, right? So it's it's super important to have those quarterly or annual reviews between the clients and the actual vendors so they can work together. Mm -hmm. um, Amazon is really good in that aspect, right? So I've been on the um, customer, customer advisory board for Amazon um, for several years and they usually you know, invite everybody up to Seattle, um, kind of their top 50 clients or so, and then they brainstorm with them on what they want to see. And pretty much, I think 90% of their roadmap is shaped by clients. That's cool. Um, technology is one thing and people are another. So anytime you go into a company and you want to make a change, you have people in various camps, you have to bring them along the different departments. So how do you deal with the culture of a company so that everybody is on board with this change that is really going to disrupt their lives to some extent? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think communication is really key there. Um, you're going to have to have those workshops and you have to make sure that you invite all the right people to those workshops. So when you start, you know, with, a, with your key person there, you have to explore who's going to do what. Um, is there like an IT department, right? What are their thoughts on those solutions? You need to bring them on board early so they don't feel like suddenly there's some kind of a shadow IT thing happening within their company, mm -hmm. right? Um, they might have, you know, experience also with um, e-commerce. So if they haven't been in the e-commerce space, they still might, you know, have um, experience from previous roles or just, you know, from because they like it. Um, so they all have opinions. So it's important to get all the right stakeholders into the room, into the workshop, and then, you know, work with them, get them all heard also. And then, um, and then come up with a roadmap that satisfies everybody. So a decision's been made, a vendor's been selected. Um, what can a merchant do to make sure that as they make the actual technology change that it, they're doing it in a way that is the least disruptive to their business? Usually the case when they end up in this hole where they customize so much or they can't really scale on the platform that they're um, on. And then it's um, important to, first of all, check out you know, all the features that they currently have and how successful they are. Um, the nice thing, if you have an existing platform, you have metrics on it and you can look what kind of features and customer experience is successful versus what, you know, what, what is your conversion rate, what's your average order size and so forth. So you can get like a really good picture of your current platform. And then you can take the platform, all the features and those metrics and come up with what you want in the future. Once you've decided that, then you have to start building this platform and you have to think of a transition plan. This is actually super important from an SEO perspective because what I often see is that um, customers replatform, they launch a new platform and think, okay, new shiny platform is going to be super successful and then they flip the switch to a new platform and their business tanks. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is the old platform has URLs, right? So on a platform you have your domain name and then you have all the URLs. And the URLs are built um, by that platform. They, they have a certain structure. And then once you have a new platform, all the URLs change. And all the search engines won't find the old URLs anymore. And you get dropped in the index everywhere. Um, there's links not only you know, from search engines, there's links from blogs. And you know, if you have an old website, um, there's links from everywhere to yours. <laughs> Marketing person's worst nightmare. Yeah. 
Right. Um, so, <laughs> but the nice thing is you have an existing platform. You actually know through like uh, Google Webmaster Tools or Google Analytics, what are your main URLs um, where you're getting traffic. And you have to come up with like a redirect strategy mm -hmm. of what are the new destinations. Sure. And if you do that um, nicely, you actually don't lose any traffic. Um, but that's something that's super important that you have to do your homework on transitioning that over. And then um, what we often do is we just create like a separate server that has all the old URLs and we manage through that and make sure that we point everything to the new URLs. Wow, something to consider that maybe I wouldn't have thought of. Are there other things too that are um, maybe more business specific? So if you do a one-time purchase versus, versus a company that does subscriptions, does that change anything about how you might put together a new platform? Yeah, subscription um, is a super nice business model and more and more companies um, are going to that. Um, so yes, so if, if you have products that can be subscription, then you want to look for a platform that supports subscription. And this is not only, you know, for like digital, like so Adobe has a subscription, right? Um, and all their products can be used through their Adobe um, cloud mm -hmm. and subscription. But then there's also companies that sell shaving cream, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to need shaving cream every X weeks, mm -hmm. right? Um, and they kind of start thinking about that after a while, right? They see that people are buying their shaving creams. And then, you know, if your platform supports subscription, then it's something very easy to do. And it's an ongoing revenue stream. Usually people don't end subscriptions like that unless, you know, there's some really tempting offer from someone else. So, yes, so subscription is something you definitely want to look at when you choose a So plan for that, maybe. Yes. Okay. So as you think about, you know, the future of e-commerce, what are you really excited about? What trends do you have your eye on? Well, I think the most exciting part of e-commerce is, is the global um, expansion. Um, companies start often and they, they start in their country and then they think, okay, how can we actually start selling in other countries? Um, and selling in other countries is hard because um, there's different taxes, there's different payment methods. There's different customers that have different, you know, expectations. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a huge opportunity um, because, you know, some of those countries are, depending on where you are, are large markets for, for companies. And I think it's important to also do your homework there um, to look at where's your traffic coming from, right? Are people interested in your brand? All of that is in your analytics. But then once you decide to actually go to market in those countries, the question is, how do you do that? And Digital River, you know, again, is, is a platform or a company that helps you a lot um, with that. And that's something I'm super excited about, how you can um, go global in a way that it's easy for you to support it, you know, from your company. It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and able to, uh, you know, open your business to new customers worldwide and make sure that they're having a really, you know, great localized experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. For HP, for example, when we launched in those seven countries, HP had presence in all of those countries, but not every company is like an HP, right? If yeah. you are a company that only has headquarters in, let's say, US and in one country in Europe, then it's difficult to go to Asia. 
But yeah. if you then use um, Digital River, um, you could easily sell in a few weeks in another country. And um, we've been working together with, with Digital River right on this Magento extension where you can actually plug into Digital River as the merchant of record and still use Magento um, and sell in those countries. Um, there's also hybrids, right, uh, that should connect into Digital River so customers that are on those platforms can easily just expand into new countries. Well, as we wrap it up, do you have any other advice for brands that want to enhance that direct-to-consumer experience through the platform offerings they have? Um, well, the, the, the thought I have um, is there's, there's not only just the traditional online commerce, right, where you have like a website and a store. There is, you know, with this API offering that is available now from Digital River, there is also ways to integrate into that from other points than a web store. There's mobile apps, there's in-car experience, right? Mm -hmm. So with Volkswagen, we're currently working on solutions to enhance your in-car experience. Right, so you have to kind of think out of outside of the box, depending on which business you are in, right? But so when you are in a car and you're driving, you get to a gas station, you have to still, you know, plug in your, uh, you put in your credit card into the gas station mm -hmm. and to get your fuel, right? But um, this could all be managed by the car. It could be automatically you arrive there. It can be through Bluetooth. You just you know pay. Um, your car pays for you pretty much. You are in the car. You can order food from within the car or you can order service for your car or you can you know get parts or whatever um, <laughs> you have to kind of think which industry you're in what's what does your company do and how can you integrate from whatever your products are into um, an ecosystem of e-commerce right like subscription right if you have a product that auto subscribes right it tells you i'm empty i need something new that can be done without you doing anything. It would be just something that happens automatically. Right. And usage base, right? So it's, you know, based on how many times you've brushed your teeth and how much pressure you apply and right. then it knows exactly when you need a new toothbrush head. Orders Precisely. it for you. Right. So, and as the, you know, the, the electronic components become smaller and smaller, I think um, soon it's going to be like that. It's not only like one point of sale. It's going to be points of sales that are just subscriptions to you and you don't really interact with it. It just automatically happens. So I think this whole automation aspect is something that customers or companies should think through mm -hmm. and see how they can make the life of their clients easier. Well, Roland, you are a, obviously have a ton of knowledge about selling online and how to build you know, direct-to-consumer e-commerce channels. So thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I think there's another couple topics that we could do future episodes on so let's let's do it again sometime soon sounds good thanks for having me in our next commerce connect how do you future proof your e-commerce business paul deforno managing director of commerce and content practice at deloitte digital is a highly sought after speaker for his insight into the e-commerce world what trends does he see that could be an opportunity or a threat to brands in 2020 and beyond? That's next time on Commerce Connect. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast, brought to you by Digital River and edited 
at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.